So we've come to lesson number two. The story begins. So if you'll just stick with me here, here's where we'll go. Are you ready? Where do you have to look to find a sinner? Did I see some of you looking at each other already? Not far. You know what my answer would be? And the answer that I will write on the sheet that I will send to you this week. In a mirror. In a mirror. When I look in a mirror, I see a sinner. I see a sinner saved by grace, but I see a sinner. Nonetheless. Yeah. Where do you have to look to find a sinner? You don't have to look far at all. Note well. The way of salvation begins with a conviction of sin. Now whether we realize it or not, when we began to read Pilgrim's Progress, we encounter it very, very quickly. We'll see how in a moment. Conviction of sin. Conviction of, thing, of sin should not be a strange thing or an unknown thing to those of us who know Christ. Like I said in, in my prayer and, and just now and looking in the mirror, we still know what it is to sin. I, I wish I could say otherwise. Really. Now, when was the last day that you didn't sin or I didn't sin? We've never had a day like that. We've never had a day like that. I, I mean, if we understand sin rightly, the way the scriptures picture sin. So, as I indicated last week, and we will try to do this uh, every week in our study, at the very beginning of what we're going to be looking at in Pilgrim's Progress, we're going to have a little bit of a theological time, a little bit of a introductory time when we'll look at some area of doctrine. And what I want us to look at this morning briefly is from the area of doctrine, which is called hamartiology. Matter of fact, let me say that one more time, and then we'll all say it together. Hamartiology. Let's all do it. Hamartiology. Hamartiology. Now, where in the world did such a word like that come from? I've never heard that word before. Some of you have. It is a word that is derived from a Greek word or words. There is a Greek word, hamartia. Hamartia. Hamartia is the Greek word for sin. <laughs> and there is a verb form, hamartia is a noun. It has a verb form, hamartano, that is akin to it. And that word, or those words, refer to sin as a missing of the mark, like a bowman, a soldier who is a bowman, reaching in and getting ready to shoot his arrow, and the arrow misses the mark that he was shooting. So, hamartiology is the area of theology that deals with sin. It is a virtually undeniable fact that everyone will have to admit that they are a sinner. Everyone. Everyone without exception. Now, some people may be very reluctant to do that for various reasons. Some people, very sadly, some people who claim to know Christ and, and perhaps even are genuine Christians may even make the claim, dare I say the absurd claim, that they are past sinning, they have entered into a state of sinless perfection, but that is, uh, that, that is a most unreal, most unreal position to be in. So, what is meant by the fact that all are sinners? Does it mean that simply they're not perfect? Everybody would have to say, well, I'm not perfect, if that's what you mean. Does it mean uh, something more serious than that? 
Well, you know where we have to look to get the answer for that? We have to look in the Bible because in the Bible we find God's answer. God's answer is certainly much better than any answer that I could give or anybody else could give, although hopefully I and various others could give answers that are based on the Bible. But let's let's go from there. All right, boy, this is a dark-looking screen, isn't it? A mottled gray background, so here we go. The destructiveness of sin. The destructiveness of sin. Well, let's start here. One sin of our first parents. Now, you all understand what we mean by our first parents? Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. The first parents of, of all of humanity that would follow. Okay. One sin of our first parents had destructive results. Let me, let's think. First of all, of course, they lost the intimate fellowship that they had with God. How, how, is that, how is that intimate fellowship with God best portrayed in those early verses of Genesis? Walking in the garden? Yeah, they walked in the garden with God. They walked in the garden with God. And there was a loss of that when they sinned, when they disobeyed his prohibition. And what did they do? They hid themselves. It hit themselves. Second of all, <clears throat> damage to the relationship with one another. Well, it damaged their relationship with God, but the destructiveness of sin is such that it damages our relationship to one another. Do you think it took very long for Adam and Eve to have uh, various things enter into their relationship? He blamed her. I don't think she appreciated yeah, it. Yeah, he blamed, <laughs> he blamed her. It, it was a bunch of blame, a bunch of finger pointing at the very, very first. It was. Yeah, yeah. The wife you gave me, among other things. And then the woman the serpent. Yeah, right. But I, I, I'm, I'm thinking that the damaged relationship that they had to one another. Remember, they lived a really long time. They lived hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah, there, there were a lot of uh, spats and worse in that. But <laughs> the entry of sin into the world had a very destructive result in their relationship. Devastating results to their posterity. Uh, to put it in terms of the, what the Bible says, as by one man sin entered into the world. By one man sin entered into the world and sin was passed on generation after generation after generation. We are born in sin. That has been true of every individual except for one, of course, the Lord Jesus. We're born in sin. Or to put it in terms of, I, I think it was the McGuffey Reader maybe or one of those old primers way back then. In Adam's fall, we sinned all. So, devastating results to their posterity. Well, there's still more room on here, so let me add another one. Damage to the whole universe. Damage to the whole universe. This was a wonderfully perfect universe that God created. But, and, and, and we see this not only in the early chapters of Genesis, but we see it especially in a graphic way when we look at uh, Romans chapter 8, right? Romans chapter 8 tells us that the whole world groans, is groaning, waiting for the consummation. I'd say that's a pretty, uh, pretty significant list of... Uh, Destructive things. I mean, I mean, big time destructive. Not not a fender bender. These are big time destructive. Now we talked about one sin of our first parents brought those things. How about our sins now? The sins that we commit. Our sins destroy our fellowship with God. They interfere with our fellowship with God. They break our fellowship with God. They put a barrier 
in our fellowship with God. Our sins destroy peace of mind and heart. You, you know what I mean by that, right? I mean, I don't have to share a whole lot of details on those things. When you commit sin, is your heart troubled? Is your mind troubled? Yeah, it is. Especially if you let sin go on without getting sin taken care of by confessing and forsaking your sin. Damaging our relationships. Our relationships in this world are affected by our sin. The destructiveness of sin. Well, I don't think there's any more room on this slide, so let's pursue this. It brings us to this point. All mankind are residents of the city of destruction. Isn't that where our story begins? Uh, Pilgrim's Progress. It begins in the city of destruction. Now, I, you know, because I, I taught this before and everything, I spent a whole lot of time searching out images to use on, on PowerPoint slides and everything like that. Some of you have editions uh, of Pilgrim's Progress that have pictures in them. I think the, uh, the one that I see several of you have have pictures. How about everybody just hold up your Pilgrim's Progress for that? I want to see how many different. I, I hold it so I can see the cover. Okay. Uh, you know, I can see several, several different editions here, and there's, there's lots of artwork. Uh, speaking of artwork, one of the things I brought with me today is a storybook, uh, the story of Pilgrim's Progress, and this is the uh, Revelation Media production of it. This came out in the theaters uh, a few years ago. And I know some of us went to see that in the theaters, and I liked. I anticipated it highly when it was. I think it was right at the time that I was teaching the course on Wednesday night, and that made it so relevant for when it came out to be able to see it. Uh, I liked it immensely. There were some criticisms I had of it, but I'll live. But this is where this is where the story begins. All mankind. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All mankind are residents of the city of destruction. The sure judgment of the holy and righteous God is coming upon all who dwell there, that is, on all who dwell in the city of destruction. The sure judgment of the holy and righteous God is coming. In his own words. Now, I, I hope you have read this, although this was to a certain degree, I think, a daunting task. You, you wanted to start on page one of chapter one, where the story begins, but lo and behold, after, after this nice uh, title page like this, after that, you find the author's apology for his book. And I would say concerning that uh, apology. Now remember what the word apology means. It's, it's not John Bunyan saying, I'm sorry, I wrote this book. I hope you read it, but I'm sorry, I wrote this No, it is his defense for writing the book. An apology is a defense. Apologetic is the defense of uh, the scriptures. And you notice this about his apology. It's not a short one, is it? None of you, if this is included in your book, none of you have a short one in there. It's several pages. And it's all in poetic form, isn't it? It's in poetic form. I like poetry. I like poetry that rhymes. And it, it blows my mind that Bunyan's poetry, and this is kind of, in my book, I think it's like seven pages long. And it rhymes. And you remember the disadvantages that Bunyan had when he wrote the book. He was in jail. He didn't have a rhyming dictionary there or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I just sort of throw this as an aside that Dirk Thomas, who incidentally 
has a series of videos that are available through Ligonier Ministries, and uh, I enjoyed very much, and I'll probably be mentioning him from time to time in our study, but I have to just say that Derek Thomas is not the biggest fan of Bunyan's poetry, but nevertheless, I shall remain a fan of it. I want to point out a couple things about Bunyan's apology to his writing. And thus it was, I, writing of the way and race of saints in this our gospel day, fell suddenly into an allegory about their journey and the way to glory. I thought those lines are very, very interesting. Very interesting in several ways. I mean, this is the way it starts out. Um, fell suddenly into an allegory. I sent, I sent you a page. Very interesting page that I only discovered last week, and I thought it was a good summary page, giving some of the literary aspects of this. But their journey and the way to glory. Pilgrim's Progress is about the journey from the city of destruction to the celestial city, where we will arrive in glory. So he's writing of the way. There's more. Thus I set pen to paper with delight and quickly had my thoughts in black and white. How clever. And now, before I do put up my pen, I'll show the profit of my book and then commit both thee and it unto that hand that pulls the strong down and makes the weak, stand, weak ones stand. Now, now, what's the essence of especially that last section that I wrote? Bunyan says this. I have, I have written this and I'm committing it, that is the book, and I'm committing you, the readers of the book. I'm committing you to God. I'm committing you to God. And we'll see what God does through this book in the hearts of the readers I've committed it to God. God brings strong ones down. God makes weak ones stand. Now, in the author's apology, you know, I, I've highlighted everywhere in the book, and I want, I want to be selective in my highlighting. If you highlight everything, you haven't highlighted anything. I, I have a friend. I have a friend that I met at camp a number of years ago. He's a good friend, a good friend. <clears throat> but you look at some of the pages of some of his Bibles, and the whole thing is highlighted. Uh, you know, it, it drives me up a tree, actually, really. But I've highlighted certain things, and uh, let's let's look a little further here. As I walked through the wilderness of this world. I lighted on a certain place where was a den. And I laid me down in that place to sleep. And as I slept, I dreamed a dream. So the important thing here is he talks about falling asleep. And he's in a place where was a den, a den or a cave. <clears throat> Remember, this is an allegory where things represent other things. You know what that den is? The, the den is his prison cell. His what? Where he was in prison. It's his yeah, prison that's why he said jail. Yeah. It's yeah. funny because I was doing, you know, I'm reading this most of the time in my den. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite, you don't quite have the restrictions that Mr. Bunyan was experiencing. But he also says that he's kind of writing in it. This is so clever from a man who was not university trained and all, and yet wrote a work of literature here that is admired so highly and studied in universities and, and literature classes and all that. But he's using the figure of a dream. And if you do highlight things, I, I would say every time you encounter that as you go through the story, that he's in a dream or whatever, uh, as he's left, I like that because periodically 
that will come up. So that really is the beginning of the book. These are the opening words. This is the famous beginning of the book. So, <clears throat> before too many words, <clears throat> the hero is introduced. Now, this is a picture. <clears throat> He's been pictured in a number of different ways in various books. I just happen to have a book which uses that. I, I just love that piece of artwork when I first found that. I loved it for a number of reasons. I mean, here is a, a city beyond him. <clears throat> you can see in the horizon. I can see that he has a big pack on his back. And there seems, and what was his trade? A tinker. A tinker. And I can see maybe some of the things connected with his trade that came from the heavy backpack. I can see the book in his hand. And boy, as I look at this picture here, that book, that book looks pretty much like it could be a Bible, doesn't it? Sure enough, it does. Yeah. I also love the thistles right here. I, I'm just a lover of thistles, so that one struck me also. But here is the picture that the story begins with. And let me read it right out of the text here. He says, And I dreamed a dream. I dreamed, and behold, I saw a man... <clears throat> Clothed with rags. Does this guy look like he's clothed with rags? Yeah, you see holes in his socks and patch on his left knee and all that. Clothed with rags. Standing in a certain place with his face from his own house. The word from there, and this edition that I'm using, I find very, very helpful because it, it helps with words, just a simple word like from, his face was away from. In other words, his home is behind him. The city that he's leaving, the city of destruction, is behind him. Furthermore, it says, a book in his hand and a great burden upon his back. Well, he's clothed with rags. He's facing away from his house. His eyes are in another direction. His eyes are even looking up at this point. I'm here. A book in his hand. Like I said, it almost looks like some of our Bibles, you know, with the leather cover, which, whatever. <clears throat> a great burden upon his back. A great burden. Not a small burden. Not like the little backpack I brought with me today. As soon as I put my lap in there, it's a heavy burden already. <laughs> my laptop seems to weigh a ton. But that's the picture that we are given at the very beginning of this uh, the journey the journey now typically in these lessons I'll give an overview of the journey as we start the section that we're studying in this particular section that goes from leaving the city of destruction to arriving at the wicked gate. First of all, he leaves the city of destruction. He falls into a quagmire. I'll talk about that in a few minutes. You can see that purposefully I did not pronounce that. He detours into the house of legality and then arrives at the wicked gate. Now that's an oversimplification of what happens in this first section, but I think it's a pretty faithful representation. Ah, there is a map, one of the maps, actually not the map that I gave you, but each one of those things can be identified on these maps. And, and like I said, in giving you the map, I, I certainly did not intend to frustrate anybody by giving you that map. Somebody that I can't read this map. <laughs> I don't know that I can either. Uh, and at this point, Casper, I have been asked, and you're, you're the man that could answer this. Where did you find the map that you had? 
think we've got a uh, homeschooling mm. uh, conference that we, even that, <coughs> if you didn't get it there, that would be a very reasonable place to get it, yeah. I'd like to think now, between now and when I see you guys next week, I'll be going to a school convention up in Pennsylvania. Whoa! If I saw a booth that sold maps to Pilgrim's Progress, I'd buy 50 of them, right? <laughs> and sell them for an inflated price when I get <laughs> I could have it made. I don't know. If I do see a, a ministry that you know teaches Pilgrim's Progress, which is a fair likelihood, uh, I, I will be on the, I'll be on the lookout for that. All right, that's an overview. Let's get into it here. Christian. Christian. What was his name before Bunyan called him Christian? Uh, a couple of you knew that. I was going to try to hold it secret, you know, and not tell it and say, oh, I'll tell you later on that. But his name is or was graceless that is without grace now where are we told that not until we have gone through several things and it will come up in conversation and I don't know that it will ever be mentioned after that and it's not introduced right here he actually is just not given a name it, it just calls him a man so we've gone a little bit into it What was the burden on his back? How would you describe it? His sins. His sins. And, and it is, as we read carefully, it is a burden that doesn't diminish. It gets greater and heavier. What was the response of his family when he told them of his great concern? Well, let me see if I can find it here. In this plight, therefore, he went home and refrained himself as long as he could that his wife and children should not perceive his distress. But he could not be silent long because that his trouble increased. Wherefore, at length, he brake his mind to his wife and children. And thus he began to talk to them. Oh, my dear wife, said he, and you, the children of my bowels, I, your dear friend, am in myself undone by reason of a burden that lieth hard upon me. Moreover, I am for certain informed that this our city will be burned with fire from heaven in which fearful, in which fearful overthrow both myself and thee, my wife, and you, my sweet babes, shall miserably come to ruin except which yet I see not, some way of escape may be found, whereby we may be delivered. At this his relations were sore amazed, not for that they believed that what he had said to them was true, but because they thought that some frenzy distemper had got into his head, therefore it drawing towards night, and they hoping that sleep might settle his brains, with all haste, they got him to bed, but the night was as troublesome to him as the day. Wherefore, instead of sleeping, he spent it in sighs and tears. Wherefore, instead of sleeping, he sent it with sighs and tears. So, when the morning was come, they would know how he did. He told them worse and worse. He also set to talking with them again. And they began to be hardened. They also thought to drive away his distemper by harsh and surly carriages to them. Sometimes they would deride, sometimes they would chide, and sometimes they would quite neglect him. Wherefore, he began to retire himself to his chamber, to pray for and pity them, and also to condole his own misery. He would also walk solitary in the fields, sometimes reading and sometimes praying, and thus for some days he spent his time. Now I saw upon a time when he was walking in the fields that he was, as he was wont, reading in his book and greatly distressed in his mind. And as he read, he burst out, as he had done before, crying 
What shall I do to be saved? What does that remind you of? Yes. The Apostle Paul in Philippi having been arrested and having been put in stocks with his companion Silas and at midnight as he was praying and singing there was an earthquake the stocks flew open the doors flew open and all that looked like the makings of a great prison break and the prison keeper, the jailer, sprang in and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They were his words. Why? Because he thought his life was good for nothing when his prisoners escaped. And there was great reality to that, too. You go back and read Acts 12 about what happened when uh, Peter was released from prison. But he is saying, What shall I do? To be saved. His family, very troubled. His family thought he was crazy. As he was reading the book, he was greatly distressed and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And then Evangelist comes on. The next character that we meet is called Evangelist. What does Evangelist represent? <clears throat> well, he doesn't recommend the gospel, and that bothered me. And I did a little research, <clears throat> and I even found a quote by Spurgeon. Uh -huh. What was where it? Spurgeon says, We must not say to the sinner, Now, sinner, if thou wilt be saved, go to the baptismal pool, go to the wicket gate, go to church, or this or that. No, the cross should be right in front of the wicket gate. And we should say to the sinner, throw thyself down there, and thou art saved. But thou art not saved till thou cast off thy burden, and lie at the foot of the cross, and find peace in Jesus. So this was Spurgeon's one real objection. This, this is Spurgeon, who was the greatest lover of Pilgrim's Progress ever to walk the face of the earth. You know, He, he from time to time, will share his... Uh, uh, his disagreement with uh, Bunyan, and, and again, he was probably the greatest lover of Bunyan. Well, that kind of bothered me about that too, and that's why I researched yeah. it. I thought, what kind of evangelist is this guy? You know? Well, you know what? You know what? The the bad news has to precede the good news. And he, what is an evangelist? An evangelist is one who shares the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel includes the bad news that hey, you're lost in what I hope without Christ. Yeah, yeah, then you don't shut up. Yeah, all right. Right, right. This is true. This is true. So, when Evangelist asked him, why was he not willing to die? What did he say in response to that? Why, did, why does that come in? Is he willing to die? Well, let me read it to you. He answered, sir, I perceive by the book in my hand that I am condemned to die, and after that to come to judgment. And I find that I am not willing to do the first, nor able to do the second. That was Christian's answer. And, and you'll notice that he hasn't even been named Christian yet. Soon to happen, soon to happen in this. But he's not ready to leave this world and go to judgment. And he knows that judgment is coming. Can I interrupt for Yes, of course. You didn't tell John that he had to be saved right away and, and leave it right there. You are building a relationship with him. You are pointing him to the cross, I'm, I'm assuming. But sometimes if you go to witness without building that relationship, you're running ahead of the Holy Spirit. And what I understand you're doing with John is, is waiting on the Holy Spirit, that you feel urged to go and talk to him, and that when the Holy Spirit has prepared John's heart, he will be ready to hear the message of the cross. But that it, there are times that if we come to saying salvation is the only way before... I do this with my kids all the time, my unsaved kids. I want them saved now, and I keep pointing that out. 
And sometimes that just closes the door because they know what they know, but they're not ready to be open to it. You know, when you started to make those observations, you want to let me to the, I'm saying, John. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, John. it's my friend John the Papaya Man. That's who did. Now, the interesting thing in all that is that I actually did give John uh, a lengthy tract that I'd written called Looking at the Cross, where I write it from the perspective of somebody who's standing at the foot of the cross and trying to understand what's going on there. Uh, so yeah, it takes it takes great wisdom in all that. But let's let's give evangelist some credit here. And, and here's an interesting picture among the pictures that are available to illustrate these things. Which one is evangelist and which one is Christian? Well, Christian is in the forefront of the picture. You can see the holes in his socks and you can see the pack on his back. And evangelist is there pictured as the one with the hat on. He represents a preacher of the gospel and most authorities are of the opinion that evangelist was probably fashioned after that very, very influential person before Bunyan came to know Christ, the preacher named John Gifford. John Gifford. How did Bunyan, remember how Bunyan even went to John Gifford? Remember what happened there? Ah. He saw four ladies in the town of Bedford in discussion, and they were discussing religious things, and he kind of entered himself into that, and they said, you need to go see our pastor, John Gifford. And that is what happened. And, you know, I think if, if, Dirk, if we could invite Dirk Thomas to be with us every week, he would have specific individual that he'd be able to relate most of the characters to, historical individuals from back in that time. I can't do that. I can't do that. Evangelist gave the man a parchment roll, which said, what did the parchment roll say? Well, I'm reading, then evangelist, then said evangelist, if this be thy condition, why standest thou still? He answered, because I know not whither to go. Then he gave him a parchment roll, wherein was written within, fly from the wrath to come, or flee from the wrath to come. When the man said he did not see it, when he did not see what? The wicked gate. The evangelist says, look yonder and see a wicked gate and go toward that. Christian said he could not see the wicked gate. Again, whither must I fly? Then said evangelist, pointing with his finger over a very wide field. Do you see yonder wicked gate? The man said, no. Then said the other, do you see yonder shining light? He said, I think I do. Then said Evangelist, keep that light in your eye and go up directly thereto, so shalt thou see the gate at which when thou knockest it shall be told thee what thou shalt do. Finally, when the man's family cried after him, what did he do? Anybody remember reading that? What did he do? He put his hands in his ears. He put his hands in his ears. Well, Christian leaving home, his wife, not many of these pictures are in color, his wife and his kids and some others, I'm guessing that these might be the two characters that are about to appear. But Bunyan is leaving them beginning this year. Obstinate and pliable. Susan? When does the name change from racist to Christian? Very soon. Racist. Yeah, racist. Obstinate and pliable. Now, in one depiction of these characters, which is a very fascinating work that I found, which sought to illustrate each one of these characters. These are the two that it shows, you know, which one of those two is obstinate? 
the one on the right, to be sure, with a very opposite look on his face, and pliable, obviously, is the one on the left here. But let's go. They were resolved to go after the man, to go after Christian, and fetch him by force, if necessary. Bring him back by force. And when they caught up to him, what did Christian do? No, he did not say, get out of here. Christian said, come along with me. By the way, I, I, I need to add this, and it will be in the notes here. When Christian put his hands, put his fingers in his ears, he kept on crying, life, life, eternal life. That's what he kept saying. At this point, the man is identified as a Christian. So, Susan, there is the answer. Uh, when he is actually in conversation with the man called obstinate, the name Christian comes in. Now, <clears throat> obstinate is stubborn and unchanging. What, what do you think of? Perhaps I should have asked you this before I reveal those words. What do you think of with the term obstinate? Someone who's stubborn. Somebody who's stubborn. Yeah. Susan? I think I have a sermon today about the hard part where the seed doesn't take root. Okay. Okay. That's good. Very good. Anybody have anything else come to mind? Pig-headed. Pig-headed. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I'm thinking obstinate like, um, like without. So it's without something. I hate to even bring this up, but did anybody have even flit through the mind the phrase an obstinate child? <laughs> I don't want any names shared. <laughs> but what, what is an obstinate child? Well, hard to manage. Yeah, pretty hard to manage. Pretty hard-headed. Uh, difficult, a difficult taste. <coughs> You'll have right there. Friends and comfort are more important to this individual named obstinate than following along. Now, at this point, let, let me just say that I have two books with me today. You can see these are really small books. Very small. This one's pretty small. This is Pil the Pilgrim's Progress Study Guide by Maureen L. Bradley, published by PNR. Uh, uh, you'll find this to be very helpful. It is basically made up of summaries and applications and a whole lot of questions. That was very helpful. And another one is even more brief. This is by Leland Riken. And this one is very, very interesting and very, very helpful, too, that you can see very, very very brief. Yes, it looked like I highlighted most of the page there, but caught <laughs> in my own trap, right? It just fell into this one. <laughs> no, shouldn't have opened to that page. Anyhow, obstinate, this character is stubborn and unchanging. Friends and comfort are more important to him. Well, <clears throat> Believe it or not, <clears throat> we're going to get into, believe it or not, I was thinking, and we're, we're five minutes from the end of class today, which is ridiculous. Uh, I said that this study can be divided into 12 sections, 12 sections, and we'll be done before Christmas. Well, we're not through section one yet, <laughs> right? uh, which is the second lesson here. So I have really bad news for you. This is, this is going to be longer than 12 weeks, me thinks, unless I really catch fire somewhere or another. But as far as Christian's book was concerned, what is his book? It's a Bible. What's Obstinate's reaction to his book? Away with it. Away with your book. Away with your book. Discounts it of having any value whatsoever. Ah, the second individual, pliable, pliable. Matter of fact, <laughs> what do you think of when you hear the name pliable or the word pliable? 
Like Play-Doh? Like Play-Doh. That comes to my mind, too. Play-Doh or Putty. Yeah. Or Play. Yeah, that's pliable. How about when it comes to persons? He's inclined to be of the same opinion as whomever he is with. And this is illustrated so well here. Here is a picture from the, the storybook of the Revelation Media movie and the two individuals that join with Christian this is Christian right here, and this obviously is obstinate, and this guy is the way they represent pliable. Well, now he is inclined to cast his lot in with the Christian and go along with Christian. What made him want to do that? He's pliable. Well, he's pliable, that's true, but what specifically? made him change from being one who was determined to bring Christians back by force to the city of destruction. He liked the destination that liked, Christian was describing liked, from yeah, the book. Yeah, it sounds like there's some real great advantages to this place you're going to, including riches and other things. I think I'll go along with it. Yeah. When he asked Christian if the words of his book, that is Christian's book, were certainly true, Christian's answer was this. I love this answer. He says, yes, verily, or yes, truly, for it was made by him who cannot lie. You guys, why, why do we have confidence in this book? Because it is the living word of the living and true God. I love to describe the Bible that way. It is the living word of the living and true God. There is no book like this. No book. There are great books in this world. Many great books. But there is no book like this. This is in a category all by itself. This book was given to us by divine inspiration. There are human authors, somewhere around 40 different human authors. But those authors, those holy men, spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That's divine inspiration. You know, and, and, and people that that we talked to that we talked to or whatever have to understand that what we are sharing, what we are saying, is what God has said. And if somebody wants to say, oh no, that's just a book, and start in with all their spew, the Bible is full of errors and contradictions and all that, things that cannot be substantiated not at all, then uh, we're, talking, we're talking different things here, to be sure. When Pliable wants to go faster, you know, if that's what's ahead of us, let's go faster. Christian says he cannot because of his burden. And that last sentence says, apparently, Bible has no burden. Apparently, Bible has no burden. Does that mean Bible wasn't a sinner? Well, surely it doesn't mean that, because as we're seeing, all have sinned and come sure of the glory of God. So, really, it's 12 o'clock. Boom. Time out. We'll have to end right here. With my apology that I didn't have the printed pages for us today, but you'll be seeing them very soon. And second of all, because we haven't even got finished this lesson. Joy? I don't think you can on your email list. Oh, you're not on that email list? Yeah, okay. My husband is not passing it along, so. <laughs> <laughs> Another evidence of the danger and disaster that sin brings. Uh, Joy, Joy, you write it out and I'll have it on before you get tucked into bed. The movie. Is available at the library. So okay. currently, it's checked out because we have it. But uh, it is available at the library. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You can get it. I, th I think you, you probably can even find it. Yeah. Do you have an answer to why Bunyan chose to call him Christian before his salvation experience? Actually, I do not. Oh. <laughs> Actually, I do not. No. Okay. I do not. Um, you know, you know I, 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 
probably should have made this claim earlier, but I'm not going to have the answers to all the questions that have come up in here. Maybe we can get Derek Thomas on speed dial or something, <laughs> but I don't. But I think we must conclude with that for this week, so we will re-enter this next week right where we have left off right now. And one of the first things that we're going to find is that Christian and pliable are going to find themselves up to their neck in muck. And what was the name of that place? Don't even try to spit it out right now. Don't even try to spit it out. But it is a fascinating, that's a fascinating thing in itself. By the way, I should say this. I should say this, and I can boot myself for not saying this at the beginning of that. What is tip cat? Oh, yeah. Did anybody look into that? It's a, game. Ah. it's a game. I forgot. It's a game with sticks and everything. There's a little one. The cat is a little thing about that long as I make it, and the two ends of it are kind of sharpened so that if that was on the ground, you could step on one end of it and it will make it flip up. So they have another stick. This reminds me of stickball like. They flip it up and knock it. So in that sense, a little bit like stickball, but that's that's what he was playing. All right, let's pray. Let's do this. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Lord, uh, I'm a little disappointed with myself and frustrated that I didn't have the handout pages today. But Lord, I thank you that we've been able to see the journey begin. We've been able to see some of the things that Christian has already faced uh, in his family and in obstinate and pliable. And, and Lord, there are surely a whole lot of different kinds of people that we encounter in our pilgrimage, in our way through this world, headed toward the celestial city. And I just pray, Father, that you would help us. Help us to be able to reflect the love of Christ to them. Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we may treasure your word, but may we never, ever tire of reading, studying, hearing, memorizing, sharing. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.